0: And this was pointed out by Shia Kapos' playbook. There was a moment of hilarity at the annual Economic Outlook Forum held by the Executives Club this week. Moderator Terry Savage asked panelists her annual question, what would you do with $100,000? It's funny because whenever somebody asks that, hey, Terry, I got $100,000. If I say, Terry, what should I do with $100,000? She goes, well, I can't answer that. It depends on your circumstances and what your life is and all those details. But here she throws it at the panel. Bob Freilich, formerly of Deutsche Asset Management, quipped, I would give it to John. But he wasn't referring to me, John Williams. He was referring to John Rogers, Jr., the chairman of Aerial Investments, who accurately predicted last year that there would be a sharp rise in inflation and a dramatic drop in cryptocurrency. This year's outlook by Rogers Freilich and KPMG economist Diane Swonk, well, that's a power-packed panel, was optimistic, with Rogers and Freilich predicting no recession and Swank seeing a mild recession. All right, let's now get rolling on the Trust Business Lunch on WGN. John Beaver is with us, the financial advisor at Phase 3 Advisory Services. What do you make of those predictions there, John?
1: Well, what I make of those predictions is something I heard this morning called a slow session. And that's where my camp is. That's the camp I'm in. So uh, a modest recession, maybe a rolling recession between industries that might not even register a negative read on GDP for a quarter. But definitely a slowing of the economy. And that should give us a good buying opportunity in the market. The market seems to be waiting for this recession to really get a good buy opportunity in it right now. We're actually bumping right up against a downtrend. We're still in the downtrend, and we're knocking on that line right there. So I have a feeling we're going to fail off of this line into next week. But we'll see. Can't predict the future with much accuracy, but I am expecting a slow session.
0: You're saying that stocks are actually going to go down a little bit more before they go back up? I think so. Now, we could... Break through this trend
1: line and maybe hit four thousand on the S and P five hundred, which is just a few points away. Maybe forty one hundred, but the market really seems to be range bound, and there's some reason for this. The market is driven by two things: it's driven by earnings, and then the multiple on that earnings, and that multiple is really driven by interest rates. So a multiple is nothing more than how many times earnings we're going to pay for a company. So if you think about it, if the company's earnings are growing then we would expect the stock to be going up in price. If earnings are dropping, we would expect the price to come down. But then we also have to take a look at where interest rates are at. So if interest rates are low, like they were 18 months ago, 1% on the 10-year Treasury bond, then stock investors don't demand as much return on their stocks. So they're willing to pay more because they're looking for less return in the future. However, as interest rates go up, those investors are looking for more return on their stocks. And so they're willing to pay less. And that's the environment that we're in right now.
0: Well, if we tame inflation, and that's what this is all about, right, this first quarter?
1: It is. It is the goal of the Federal Reserve is to tame inflation. And they've told us one month's worth of reading isn't going to do it. They're going to look for at least three months of uh, the readings where they want them to be. So they're not done
0: raising interest rates yet. And where are we right now? What's the inflation rate right now?
1: So inflation actually just came out this week really good. We actually dropped one-tenth of a percent for last month, December. So we're at 6.5% year-over-year at this point in time, which is a good place to be. Uh, That's moving in the right direction. We hope it continues to move in the right direction at this point in time. We might have a situation, though, similar to World War II, post-World War II, where we actually had 9% inflation a couple years later, followed by 2% deflation a couple years later, followed by 6% inflation, followed by another negative reading of minus 1%. So we may be bouncing back and forth. The Fed may get us down to 2. We may even go down to 1. We even may have a little reading of 0. Then it may bounce back up again. It may take three, four, five years to get this really under control.
0: I want to talk to you about banks. I want to talk to you about Tesla and some more of these numbers. We're talking about the markets with John Beaver, the president of Phase 3 Advisory Services, a registered investment advisory firm and registered principal with Royal Alliance Associates. Why are you thinking about Tesla today, John? What's up with that?
1: Well, we have an analyst that uh, got some moxie and bucked the trend of the other analysts and say they put a sell rating on Tesla with a target of $89 a share. So usually these analysts kind of move in a pack. Uh, move together. And so they're the first one to come out and put this uh, this sell rating on uh, on Tesla, which actually may mean we're getting close to a buying opportunity in Tesla. But it's really hard to tell. As a car company, they're tremendously overvalued. But again, people don't buy Tesla because it's a car company. They buy it because of the creativity of Elon Musk.
0: Oh, really, you think that? I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised to hear that, but I'm also a little surprised to hear that because Elon is very controversial, a less popular figure these days. You think people continue to buy Teslas because of his name or because they're really cool electric cars? Well, when it
1: comes to the car, that's a different issue. But in terms of the stock, they're buying the stock because of his creativity and what might happen. Because, again, as a car company, they're going to experience more competition. We've got some better cars that are coming out from other companies. Better than Tesla or not, that's open to interpretation, but at least an improvement over what's been out there by other companies. So we're going to see a lot more uh, players coming to the market with cars that are going to be uh, something that consumers want to purchase. And Tesla's experiencing more competition.
0: Do you think that his venture into Twitter is actually hurting his stock price?
1: I think there is some of that effect there, most, most definitely, yeah.
0: Let's talk a little bit about consumers and banks. Um, and you can, Well, you, you start. I've got a couple of questions for you. But in general, um, the turn of the year now, uh, what do you expect is going to be happening at, at, at our local banks?
1: So we had a lot of bank reports today. These are the big money center banks uh, coming out with their earnings. And while they were generally pretty good reports, they're expressing some concern about this year, which is no surprise. And yet the consumer still seems to be fairly solid. So it's that concern about what might happen this year. And it's really because of the inverted yield curve. An inverted yield curve indicates that we're likely to have a recession. And it's really most inverted that we've seen since 1982 But this is also going to be good for the banks. Why is that? Because we need to get to a normal interest rate environment, which the banks haven't had for at least 15 years. And in a normal interest rate environment, the banks can actually make money, they can have earnings, and they can make a decent investment for investors, especially those looking for yield, looking for dividends. But in order to get there, the Federal Reserve has had to raise interest rates on the short end. This has inverted the yield curve. So we need to get through this recession or slow session, whatever that's going to be, there will be an environment that should be pretty positive for banks. So actually, I like the idea of buying financials at this point in time, and I would throw real estate in there too.
0: What should I expect from a return at a bank these days?
1: Well, today you can get CDs in the four range, 4% range. And uh, will that hold? Probably not. We'll probably see those short-term interest rates come back down, maybe within a year or two, but no time soon, because again, the Federal Reserve has said, They've got their foot on the brake. They're going to keep their foot on the brake until they see inflation at 2% and they see higher unemployment. They really want to see that wage pressure released.
0: The uh, Fed is, you said to producer Pete, a little cryptic these days and silent about the, the balance sheet. What are you talking about there?
1: Yeah, so they're very clear on interest rates and where they're going with this. They made it exceptionally clear, so we can't miss that message. But meanwhile, what they're not saying is important. They're not talking about the balance sheet. And what's happening is they're having some of the bonds roll off their balance sheet. So, how do we explain this? Well, the Fed, in essence, is a purchaser of some Treasury bonds. And when they purchase those bonds, they're really a lender. So they're a lender to those people of last... Re- they're a lender of not quite last resort, but they're a lender to the to Fed- to the uh, Treasury to Treasury Department. So what they're doing is they're buying these bonds, and that increases their balance sheet, which sounds like that should be a good thing. But it's really hard to say whether that's a good thing or not, because where does that money come from? It comes from the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department gives them the money to go buy these Treasury bonds. So... We want to see that balance sheet come down. But in order for that balance sheet come down, the government actually has to make good on the loans, these debts, these bonds, and they have to pay those bonds off. So by natural uh, maturity of these bonds, these bonds roll off the Fed's balance sheet. The Fed, then the government comes up with the money to, to pay them off. Okay? But at some point in time, it creates a liquidity problem in the Treasury market, and the thinking is that's going to happen sometime, perhaps this summer. Let's take
0: a step back. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you, what does that mean? So then what happens?
1: Yeah, so then what happens is we can have some disruptions in the interest rate market and not knowing where interest rates are going to go. And the Federal Reserve may probably have to slow down the balance sheet roll-off and come back and purchase some more bonds. Think of it this way. Let's change the direction of this. You got some credit cards you're charging. Every month you pay a little bit less than what you charge, so your balance is growing. You tap out one credit card, you go take another one, and you continue this process. Okay. Well, one of the lenders, one of the credit card companies is, in essence, the Federal Reserve. They're making some of this money available. They're buying these bonds, and they're giving the federal government some money. So now they're rolling these bonds off. The federal government has to give money back to the, uh, the Federal Reserve. They're they're reducing that balance sheet. And what they're doing is they're paying off their debt, but the government doesn't have enough money to pay off the debt because their credit card balance continues to grow every month. So what this does, it disrupts the bond market is the bottom line of that. And yet it's a bit complicated for the average person. What this would do would likely create some disruption in the interest rate market. So we could see some volatility in interest rates when we hit the summer is the bottom line of that.
0: How would you answer Terry Savage's question at that forum the other day where she asked Diane Swank and others, uh, Bob Freilich, what would you do with $100,000? Assuming that, yeah. let, let's assume, because Terry would do this, make sure you have paid off your credit card balance, your high interest debt. But if you had $100,000 to invest right now, what would, you, what would you say?
1: So today I would be middle of the road. I wouldn't be peddled to the metal saying, put all the money in stocks, and I wouldn't be totally conservative. i put a about half the money in a nice uh, medium-term bond portfolio, and I would put the other half in more conservative stocks or the area where we feel there's opportunity, energy, financials, real estate, maybe healthcare, and industrials. And I would wait for that buying opportunity, assuming we're going to get that with the start of a recession, and then deploy the rest of the money at that point
0: in time. But with a modest recession expected, maybe that buying opportunity is not going to be so rich.
1: Exactly right. We don't know. In fact, with everybody almost calling for a recession at this point in time, maybe we actually don't get one, and maybe the market doesn't drop that far. But we certainly are at the rich end of the the range right now, so I would expect the market to pull back sometime in the next three to four months.
0: John, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for your thoughts and wisdom. Join us again soon, okay? I will. Thanks. John Beaver, president of Phase 3 Advisory Services. Allison Sparks is here, too, head of marketing for a company called Shameless Pets. Shamelesspets.com is the website for this Chicago company. Welcome to the show, Allison. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: What do you guys make? I know the answer to this. I think this is fascinating. Talk a little bit about the product.
2: Yeah, so we are Shameless Pets, and we have a variety of dog treats and cat treats. Um, but the unique thing about our product is that we use upcycled ingredients. So we actually um, are contributing to preventing food waste, which is a, a big um, issue in the, in the food world.
0: So you're taking foods that humans normally eat and turning it into treats for cats and dogs?
2: Yeah, so an example of this is, is from the grocery store. Um, we've all seen those spiralized vegetable noodles, um, but we know that they don't come out of the ground looking like that. And so we'll work with the processors who are making those noodles, and sometimes they're too long or they're too short, and so we can take that excess that otherwise would get um, thrown out and take that. We rescue it, we freeze it, and then we incorporate it into our dog and cat treats.
0: Are these local food manufacturers, or are you sourcing it from all around the country?
2: We primarily work with North American food manufacturers and processors and, and farmers, too.
0: Yeah, So North American all around the country, then. You mentioned vegetables. So what about meats and things that dogs might want to eat?
2: We um, source the highest quality proteins we can find. All of our upcycled ingredients are typically fruits, vegetables, and seeds.
0: Fruits, vegetables, and seeds. And um, dogs eat that? They <laughs> uh, I know plenty of dogs will eat anything you give them, but uh, the, the, you, you then turn these into treats for dogs, right?
2: Yeah. So um, one of our co-founders, Alex Lee, actually came from the human food world as a food scientist. And um, when she is looking to craft our recipes, she really focuses on nutrition first. So all of our treats have a health benefit as well. Um, pumpkin, for instance, is really good for dogs' digestive systems. And then we we pair it with um, ingredients that dogs really like. So obviously, the treat is not going to be successful if the dogs don't like it. Um, so we have, for instance, a flavor called Pumpkin Nut Party, that's pumpkin and peanut butter, and dogs really, really like it.
0: Yeah, no kidding. So then, what form is that in? Is it a dry biscuit? I mean, how does how how does it come?
2: Yeah, we launched in twenty eighteen with a soft baked dog biscuit, which um, can be broken up for training or or just eaten depending on the size of the dog. And then since then, have actually launched a line of jerky bites, dental sticks, and cat treats as well.
0: Huh. Uh, So do I buy it in a bag? Um, Is it sold locally in stores? Talk about the retailing of this.
2: Yeah, it is sold locally in in pet stores. We're also in Whole Foods, Pet Supplies Plus, Petco. Um, You can find us on Amazon, on Chewy, on shamelesspets.com.
0: I saw in your literature, I mean, this just seems like such a good idea. Rather than recycle, upcycle, let's take that food and continue to use it. That makes sense. Food that goes into landfills and something like a third of the food that we produce here gets wasted. Not only is it an economic loss, but it's actually bad for the climate. It, 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 that stuff deteriorates and produces greenhouse emissions, right? That's right. So,
2: actually, one of the greatest things we can do um, to reduce is to reduce food waste to prevent, you know, future climate concerns.
0: I I presume these uh, businesses don't give you the food. You have to buy this sort of uh, unclaimed food from these companies, right? That's right. We do. (laughs) It'd be nice if they gave it to you for nothing. So then,
2: uh, Yeah, we would like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But what a process. I mean, so you've got to get it from the places, have it still be in consumable, you know, tasty, safe condition, um, and then process it the way you do. It strikes me as a lot of moving parts.
2: Yeah, it is. And we've we've been lucky to work with really good suppliers um, and have found some really good partners to help us in this work. I think... Um, When we were founded in in 2017, we were one of the first treat companies to really focus on upcycling in dog treats. Um, And there's, you know, a a third-party certification body called the Upcycled Food Association, and all of our treats have been certified by that body. So we're, you know, we have a lot of fun. We're a treat company, but we're really dedicated to our mission as well. And we're super excited that since um, we launched, We've upcycled over a million pounds of food, so have prevented all of that from going to waste.
0: Allison Sparks is the head of marketing for a company called Shameless Pets, based in Chicago. You said back to 2017, that's when you started. Um, Are are you across the country, or are you sold just locally?
2: We are national, so you can find us um, in retailers nationally, like Whole Foods, Pet Supplies Plus, Petco, Target, and then online as well, Amazon Chewy, and our website.
0: Are there flavors or mixes that are most popular? How many options do I have for my dog?
2: We have quite a few options. I'll say our Bananas for Bacon flavor, which is bananas, bacon, and peanut butter, is super popular. And then we have a Catnip and Chill flavor for cats that cats really like. And cats are notoriously picky, so we feel really excited about that.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, whoever came up with a recipe the cats like, give them a raise. Um, because that would strike me as a little more difficult to do. Uh, You know, my daisy will like a little salmon or tuna if we've got any around. You got anything with a fish scent to it?
2: We do. We have um, good Salmon for cats, and we have Salmon Loves Butternut Jerky Bites for dogs.
0: (laughs) I love the names of these things. Salmon Loves Butternut Jerky for dogs. Is, Is that what you just said?
2: That is what I said. Yes, we like to have a lot of fun with our names.
0: You're just throwing words in there that sound good, right? It has nothing to do with what's in the product. But, I mean, who could resist for their pet salmon or jerky or peanut butter or something like that?
2: Sure, yeah. No, our our salmon uh, jerky has butternut squash incorporated, so that's where that name came from. And Yam Good Salmon for Cats has sweet potatoes and salmon in it, so that's where that name came from as well.
0: Huh. Um, business is good?
2: Yeah, we are, we've been growing. Um, it's, it's a really exciting time as I think more people care about sustainability and all kinds of choices that they're making, whether it's for their, themselves or their pets. And, it, you know, it's, people really love their pets and like to give them healthy, fun treats. And so we've um, seen a lot of success in that market. Hmm.
0: Allison Sparks from uh, Shameless Pets, shamelesspets.com is the website. Uh, Good on you all, Allison. Thanks for your time today. Congratulations. Thank you so much. On the Trust Business Lunch, here's more business news with Steve Grzanich.
3: Start your timer. It's time for the Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. One of the top executives at Chicago's Aerial Investment says the U.S. will avoid a recession this year. Chairman and co-CEO John Rogers correctly forecast increasing inflation last year and also predicted Bitcoin was a bubble that would burst. According to Bloomberg, Rogers made the comments to business leaders at the Executives Club of Chicago's annual Outlook event. He says there will be no recession and the Dow will rally 10 percent this year. He says cyclical stocks will do well and he cautions against Chinese markets because of the real estate bubble there. Venture capital funding in Chicago decelerated in 2022 and the trend could continue into this year, according to PitchBook. But Chicago Inno has been in touch with local investors who disagree. One of them says there are hundreds of millions of dollars sitting on the sidelines, and it's just a matter of time until that funding is deployed. Chicago VC Jump Capital raised a $350 million fund in 2021, and one of its co-founders predicts activity will pick up in the middle to second half of this year. Chicago startups are hoping the down market is over and funding starts flowing again soon. I'm Steve Grizanich, and that's your Windtrust
4: Business Minute.
0: Here's the business of food with Steve Alexander.
4: Yeah, and here we go. Start it up. You may know what that sound is. I know our buddy Max Armstrong knows. And I'll tell you what it is after I thank the Chevy Silverado HD for sponsoring us. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. That is how farm tractors used to sound back in the good old days when if something broke, farmers would just get out their tools or welder or baling wire and fix it. But for several years now, no way.
5: That's absolutely right. You can't just pull out a toolbox and a wrench and, you know, a little bit of elbow grease and fix modern tractors.
4: That is Kevin O'Reilly, head of the Right to Repair campaign at Perg.
5: These things are loaded with electronics, with software, much like we're seeing with so many other products that we use in our day-to-day lives.
4: And in this case, it's basically that John Deere, until now, has refused to allow farmers to repair their own machines. The machines they have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to Deere for, they've been required to rely on Deere's repair shops and parts, which worked, except when it didn't.
5: When it comes to be harvest season, for example, when you're running constantly, you're going to be breaking down and fact of the matter is, at the same time, all of your neighbors are likely in the same season, and they're breaking down, too. So you could be in trouble uh, as far as getting your crop out of the ground.
4: Well, that sure wouldn't do, and farmers put up such a fuss. You know, they even went to the dark side and hired hackers to break deer's codes. So deer finally caved and signed an agreement with the American Farm Bureau that supposedly gives farmers a lot more freedom.
5: There are some potentially promising developments here. We're seeing that deer is making concessions on pieces that they haven't conceded on before so things like allowing farmers to reset their immobilizer and to
4: unlock digital keys. It's not just John Deere nor only farm equipment being targeted by the right to repair supporters. Any digital product where the manufacturer has a lock on codes and tools and repairs. Hello, low apple is under fire. From the farm to your belly, it's National, actually I call this Steve King Day, as in Steve and Johnny. It's National Gluten-Free Day. That's the business of food on 720 WGN.
0: Happy New Year, too, to C.D. Young, the owner and CEO of Spirit Elephant. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, restaurant, actually a few places now to dine. C.D., this is John, and you're on WGN. How are you?
6: Hey, John. Happy New Year. I'm doing great.
0: How are you? Pretty good. And um, this may be a good month for your kind of business. Why?
6: Well, there's something known as January, which is a heavily marked, um and well-supported avenue for people to try going vegan for, for a, a month. Um, and it seems to be gaining steam. And we have had a much busier January uh, than we did last year.
0: Veganuary. I get it. So not only are we dry, maybe in January, but now folks are trying vegan. And that's what Spirit Elephant serves at a few locations now, right?
6: Absolutely. So Winnetka is our full service fancy restaurant uh, where our executive chef spends most of his time. But he's also helped us craft menus at our fast casual version, think Chipotle uh, Elephant and Vine which is in Evanston and now Lincoln Park Chicago so we so we're we're growing
0: What is vegan food? What what does that mean I'm getting when I go to your places?
6: So there will be no animal products whatsoever zero. So no milk, no dairy, uh, I well no obviously no eggs and uh, nothing derived from animals. So 100% plants. However, you won't know it. We have uh, well, at our new places, we we specialize in chicken that's made from plants. So we have this Korean barbecue chicken sandwich that people are going nuts over. Um, I invite you to try it, John.
0: I <laughs> want know, to.
6: <laughs> yes. So so we have burgers at the, the new place. We have burgers, chicken sandwiches, bowls, salads, smoothies, and shakes.
0: Korean barbecue chicken sandwich. Those are just some of my favorite words right in a row there.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and you will be shocked. Um, uh, We had some people just the other day try it from Northwestern's food department. They just could not believe it's vegan. But, But indeed, that is the state we are in today where it is much easier to access and make amazing vegan food that you would not no, is vegan.
0: Uh, in the case of this particular sandwich, is that chickpea or soy? What what is the what, what is the product that constitutes it?
6: It is made uh, from half soy and half a wheat, so it's not gluten free. If you want gluten free, we do have burgers that are gluten free. But um, the actual chicken, it gives it that meaty texture and and even almost the little bit of stringiness that you associate with chicken. So it has very authentic chicken taste. And then we have this sauce that our executive chef crafted that will just make you come back week on week to to get it over and over again. We're all addicted.
0: So is it a would you say other than vegan? Is it in a style of food? Like, is it Mexican? Is it Italian? Is it Indian? Is there a certain um, ethnicity that you aspire to when you do this?
6: So at our full-service restaurant, our, what we call our flagship in, in, in Winnetka, we call ourselves globally influenced. So we will take sort of the best food from all over the country. And, in fact, we do these every six weeks. We highlight a country and have a special dinner, like we're doing the France dinner next week. Um, but we, are we're, we're globally influenced. We want the best, we literally just want the best vegan food you can have. And, um, we feel pretty good about, uh, how we're accomplishing that. And then at the new places, it's more like American food, although, you know, the Korean barbecue chicken's not American, but like, it, we're burgers, chicken sandwiches, chicken fingers, fries, sweet potato fries, chili that our chef has crafted, um, shape, Yeah, very American. American with a touch of global.
3: I suppose
0: some foods would be easier to approximate, like a chili or a soup or even a taco, because that meat is already sort of ground up, as opposed to a filet of steak or a chicken burger. Um, Do you find that?
6: Well, it's funny you say that, because this is what's amazing about vegan food. It's a very good time to be vegan, because now Beyond has come out with a vegan steak that's absolutely incredible, and we're using it both at Spirit Elephant and Elephant & Vine. At Spirit Elephant, we do... A Philly cheesesteak that people are going nuts over, and then at Elephant and Vine we have a steak burrito um, that people love. So, so there's just there's more and more opportunity to create craveable vegan food that people are used to that, uh, in, in animal form.
0: Answer me this: Are there two kinds of vegans these days? Those that wanted to approximate meat as much as possible. And those who actually don't even care, um, just give me whatever the grains or vegetables are and some concoction, and they're not worried about that. Are you always chasing the proximity to meat or or not
6: I think it's l- largely you' ch- you're chasing it because there I haven't met that many vegans in my life that went vegan because they didn't like meat they're, they go vegan because they don't like what eating meat has represented before it yeah. got to their plate. Yeah. And so approximating meat is a huge win, right? Because you're, get, you're getting everyone into the fold. Um, there are a few vegans, not many, that just want the, the plant thing. And, and we do try to accommodate that because we have a black bean burger, for example, at Elephant & Vine yeah. that is yeah. really just veggies. So, yes, yeah, we, we, we try to, to wrap everybody into the fold.
0: And is, do you advertise that the food is healthier per se? Because it seems to me like some of these um, uh, approximations of meat that I would find at a grocery store are high in sodium, for instance. Uh, can you talk about the nutritional or healthiness of your food?
6: So uh, at Spirit Elephant, we have a lot of the, the flagship store. We have a lot of things that are very um, healthy, like we have a, a, a eggplant lasagna. That's not, you know, it's it's baked. It's lovely. It's healthy and delicious. At Elephant and Vine, we're a little bit more into the comfort food. That's who we are. We we are trying to um, get you to crave our food. They did just come out with some studies that that analyze everything about um, meat versions of burgers versus vegan burgers, and they decided that the vegan ones were slightly marginally. But we're not saying come. Come have your Korean barbecue chicken sandwich because it's super healthy. <laughs> we're saying come because it's freaking delicious, right? So,
3: so we're, not, and, we're not
6: pretending to be a pure health food place. Yeah,
0: but and I and I suppose for everybody, a compelling component of the pitch, if you will, would be that no animals were harmed in the production of this. Um, maybe maybe not. It's environmentally better. I mean, I, I, it would seem to me like it's a twofold uh, attraction for people.
6: A hundred percent. So our so what we say is it is just plain delicious. That is number one, right? And then so you get that benefit, but then you also get the benefit of, yes, you hurt no animals in this process. And also for the environment, it is a home run for the environment. If you think about the inefficiency of giving plants to animals to then eat animals over the years, rather than just eat the plant straight away, it's a huge difference in, in pollution, et cetera. So, um, yeah, so it's like a win-win.
0: C.D. Young is the owner and CEO, can you tell, of Spirit Elephant, spiritelephantrestaurant.com to find out more. What a delight, C.D. Nice to talk to you today.
6: Great to talk to you, John. Have a great weekend.